Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined today by James Moore. Charlie Eccleshare is away for Christmas, so it's just me and James. Right now, if you subscribe to The Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any football fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect present for yourself and someone else. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash SpursPod. That's theathletic.com forward slash SpursPod and sign up. Uh, James, last time we did a podcast, we were quite optimistic about Tottenham, I thought, but... um... It's been a pretty difficult week with one point from the last three games. And do you think that the Leicester City game yesterday was the worst of the lot? Yeah, I'd I'd say it probably was. I mean, I I tweeted after the Liverpool Palace game on Saturday that that match probably told us a lot about Tottenham's approach to the previous two games. It was obviously Palace and Liverpool at that point. They were probably a little bit too negative against Palace, but probably actually were right in their approach in, in terms of sitting in against Liverpool. And there were good elements to that Palace performance. Obviously, they played quite well in the first half and took the lead. And it was only really in the kind of last 25 minutes, maybe, that they looked troubled. And obviously, they conceded a goal. Liverpool, I think, you know, I think it's been well covered now. We don't really need to go into massive detail, but I think they played well up there. And what were unfortunate, I think, to come away with nothing. I think they very easily could have had a point. I don't care what anyone says about possession stats or whatever else. You know, they played well up there. They created good chances in, in that early period of the second half and were undone by a, a set piece that they defended badly right at the end. And then on Sunday against Leicester, I, I'm not really sure what the positives you'd really take from that were. It was a, it was a bad performance. I think there were, there were bad individual performances. I mean, again, I felt like the attack, we, we've talked about this so many times, the attack lacked cohesion. When they're able to play on the counter-attack, it, it seems to be something that works really well for them and is, is relatively straightforward. If they make it look relatively straightforward... But when there's a defence to doing's actually a defence to break down and someone's got to put their foot on the ball and then work out what to do next, they still look like they uh, they're going to have difficulty scoring goals. And you know, uh, you've written a piece this morning or Monday morning, I should say, sort of highlighting the fact that when Son and Kane aren't at it and and tearing teams to shreds, then the whole team kind of looks quite blunted. And that is something we kind of, I guess, we kind of knew was an issue earlier in the season. But you know in the run of games against the top sides where they were able to defend and pound a counter-attack. You know, we know Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea. It didn't feel like as big a problem, but in this game, it felt like a particular issue. Yeah, I agree with you about not being too critical of how Spurs played against Liverpool. Like We can come on to Liverpool later, but I thought Liverpool was, in the main, a pretty good performance from Tottenham. And they were unlucky not to win the game, I thought. Whereas Leicester, I thought was pretty bad, to be honest. It wasn't quite as bad as Everton on the opening day three months ago, which I think is the kind of low watermark for Tottenham performances this season. But it did remind me a little bit of it, just in the sense that, like, particularly in terms of how bad the second half performance was. We'll get onto the Sergio thing later, because that is a big talking point. But I didn't think the first half performance up until that point was that bad. Like Mourinho said after the game in the press conference that the first 20 minutes was bad, but kind of minutes sort of 20 to 45 up until the penalty were good. And Spurs had a few good openings. And I thought they were close to scoring a goal. And yet what really kind of what would have pissed me off as a Spurs fan was not so much the first half, but the second half where they were 1-0 down and then, you know, they conceded the second goal, which was bad. They should have conceded another one with the Madison offside decision and they just didn't create anything 
at all. I mean, in that first half, it was kind of a bit like the Liverpool game. And I got a lot of stick from a lot of Liverpool fans on Wednesday night, Thursday morning for tweeting the Optostat that Spurs had had four big chances at Anfield and Liverpool had none. And I don't want to go into that again. But the first half of the Leicester game was actually quite similar in that Leicester had a lot of the ball. But actually... You know, in the first 45 minutes, I think the only shot they had on target was one, I think maybe from Madison from long range that was right down Lloris's throat. It was an easy routine save for him. And obviously Spurs had good-ish chances. The Kane had, a, again, similar to the second half at Anfield where, from the corner where he really should have scored, one for Lacelso, and I think maybe another chance for Kane as well. I, you know, they, they had the better chances in the first half, even if they didn't have loads of the ball. And, you know, you get into the 45th minute and... Serge Aurier makes a ludicrous mistake it's not even like he'd run over the top of him in, in an attempt to get the ball or and kind of barged him over like that he's purposely turned his body to elbow him in the back uh, to sorry shoulder barge him in the back and he was never going to get the ball you know it's a, it's a centre back with the ball in on the corner of the penalty area running away from the goal I mean it's just I think our colleague Tom Warville tweeted the kind of XG or kind of the, the goal risk was like 0.02% or something then he makes his ludicrous challenge and suddenly it's a penalty and it's 0.75 it is mad that he made that challenge it seems like you know, you know when you're playing in a way that it's all about fine margins when you're trying to defend like that and catch teams on a counter-attack we talked about the fact that you need those two forward players to take those chances which without wanting to be too critical of Harry Kane because he's Harry Kane he hasn't done in the last two games but at the other end, you can't afford the defenders to make ludicrous mistakes like that. And, yeah, you know, they kind of ended up being punished. If, K- if Kane scores a goal and Norrie doesn't make that mistake and it's 1-0 to Spurs at half-time, then I think the entire game is very different. Completely, yeah. And that's why I don't want to criticise Mourinho too much for this particular game, just because of those fine margins that you just described. Like, just before the Aurier penalty, obviously it was like two minutes into added time, so it was about to be the end of the first half. I'd written out a tweet, which I hadn't sent, saying something like, oh, it's such a shame for Spurs that half-time's coming now, because I reckon if they played another five or ten minutes, they look like they might score, because they were having their best spell of the game, they were creating opportunities. Kane and Son were starting to be threatening. And so it really is the case, if that didn't happen, for example, then and Spurs had gone in 1-0 up at half-time, then obviously the second half would have been a completely different place from the, from the second half that we actually got. So you can see why Mourinho would be so exasperated with it. And to be honest, he wasn't that... He didn't hammer Aurier in the press conference afterwards, and I think it's one of those where he didn't really need to. Like, everyone, anyone who watched the game can tell what a bad mistake it was. I don't think there's much, much to be gained from the manager piling in on a player like that. But particularly from those of us who've been on the kind of pro Aurier side of the argument recently, namely me and Charlie, it was dispiriting to see our guy let us down like that because uh, it was really, really, really bad mistake. I mean, in a way, the most worrying thing for me is the fact that, like, in the sort of 15 minutes of the second half that he played, I mean, I mean, Spurs were terrible in that period, and we'll come on to that in a second because actually that is a thing I would criticise Mourinho for, maybe. But in that 15 minutes, Aurier was like a total shambles. He was all over the place. Like, he, lo- he looked suddenly completely rattled, and it, it kind of felt like... And again, maybe this is my, my perception of watching him when he's made a mistake and suddenly I'm I'm raging about it. He wasn't focused in the way that he had been in previous games, which is a thing we've talked about. And that's been really impressive that he kind of felt like he was involved, he was focused mentally on the game more than he ever had been before. But yeah, in that 15 minutes, it looked like it. It's easy to read too much into these things, but it did look like that mistake may kind of been playing on his mind. Just to go back to those two substitutions, the first two substitutions. I mean, bringing Bale on for Ndombele... Uh, I, you know, and there's obviously a certain degree of bad fortune there in that you take one of those two play, midfield playmakers off 
at half time and the other one gets injured almost immediately. I mean, uh, you know, you can't legislate for that. That's incredibly bad luck. But, you know, having having made that substitution and putting Bale on for Ndombele at half time, and, and basically, I guess the idea was to go sort of more of a 4 3 3 there, right? I guess. To then replace Lacelso with Lucas, like kind of five, 10 minutes later. And it kind of felt like he rushed into that substitution. I, I don't know, because he felt Lucas was more likely to get a goal. But there was just no co- like coherent shape or structure to the team in that part of the game. Basically, until until Winks came on, basically. By which point, it was 2-0. And Leicester were incredibly comfortable just sitting deep and trying to pl- uh, pick Spurs up on the counter-attack. Obviously, why wouldn't they be? So Spurs kind of looks better after that. But it was, I think it was, you know, it was incredibly easy for Leicester. It was like we've said about Spurs in some of the other games. you know, Like the Arsenal game, maybe. It was probably like that kind of pressure, wasn't it? Yeah, I definitely agree. that the, I think the second half was worse than the first half. Even though the first half had this like massive crunch moment of the penalty... I thought the way that Spurs didn't threaten in the second half was really bad. And like and you're absolutely right. Like the combination of taking Dombele off and then Lacelso gets injured two minutes later. That's really unlucky. And of course, in hindsight, if he'd taken off Lacelso for Bale in the first place, then that might not have happened. Uh, so obviously, you know, we have to we have to recognise the fact that that was unfortunate and unplannable. That said, it's kind of strikes me as slightly mad, right, to take off your best midfielder in Dombele for this clearly half-fit Gareth Bale, who is not looking any better, really, like two months after his Spurs second debut. He's not getting... Cl- I don't think he's getting closer to, like, real Gareth Bale. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just been flashes, really, that we've seen to him so far. I mean, we were getting excited about him going around the outside of a fullback in one of the Europa League games against, you know, I, I can't even think it was LASK, maybe. Uh, you know you're really kind of clutching at straws when you're getting excited about things like that we're probably still not in a position to kind of rely on Gareth Bale to win games if he comes on for the last 15-20 minutes of a game and can do something like he did against Brighton then fine fair enough but I don't think you can put him on at half time in a match and expect him to make a sort of tangible difference really to in, in terms of like the patterns of play and the way the game is going um, you know, the best thing he's going to do is score a ludicrous goal. And, you know, there, there wasn't really a moment where it felt like he even had a chance to shoot other than the free kick. No, no the free kick was uh, when he was lining up to take it for a split second. I was thinking, oh, my God, he's going to score. It's going to be like the good old days. It's going to be like Leon 2013 or Newcastle or any of those free kicks. Then obviously it goes miles over the bar. And then there was a long. I think he touched the ball in the in their box once. But I do think he's he does kind of. So I kind of mentioned this in the piece that we published this morning. I think Bale kind of encapsulates some of the problems with this Spurs team in a few ways. One is that he encapsulated certainly in the second half yesterday. He encapsulated this problem that's which was that you can have all the attacking players on the pitch that you want, but if you can't get the ball to them, you're not going to play well. And it actually it reminded me a lot of Mourinho's Man United, where sometimes he'd have these like. These lineups, which at first glance look really attacking, because they'd have like three or four out of Sanchez, Lukaku, Mkhitaryan, Rashford, Martial, Ibrahimovic, and you think, "Wow, this is amazing!" Look, you know, Jose's really brought up all the big guns. This is going to be brilliant. And then, of course, the football's rubbish because they can't get the ball to the attacking players. And that was kind of what the second half reminded me of yesterday. All the attacking players you want, but no creativity. Well, Kane having to drop off like properly into midfield, even when they had the ball, which is not what you want. And there's no focal point for the attack. You've got kind of Bale kind of floating around, Son floating around. And I mean, Lucas wasn't even floating around. It did, it did really feel, and I know this is an easy thing to say about a player who's not in the squad, but if you have Deli Alli to put on in that situation, like a big midfield player who makes runs into the box, which is what he is, really. It kind of feels like he would have been way better suited to being involved in the last sort of half hour or so of that game. 
I, I, it just feels like mad that you can have nine substitutes and him not be one of them. Watching that second half, I did think, Daddy must be thinking, Christ, like, how can I not be in this? It is yeah. Mad. I mean, him not being in the starting lineup, I don't think you can have any. Nobody no. could have any complaints about that because they've generally been functional in the last couple of months. Um, and you know, as we covered many, many times before over the last year or so, like it's hard to see a player with his skill set and the, and the way he approaches the game fit into that system. It just doesn't without you know without changing his position or whatever. Um, but in a game, you know, in a game like that where you know it feels like you need something different and I, it, it is mad to not even have him on the bench I mean it, it seems crazy to me that he's kind of been brought in from the cold in the last couple of league games you know he comes on at Palace out of nowhere having not been in, on the bench for ages comes on against Liverpool of all teams away from home when the game is delicately poised but yet he's not even on the bench against against Leicester I mean it, it does seem like an odd one to me that I have to admit yeah I think it's a shame I did I completely agree that yesterday would have called out for Delhi, and I'm not necessarily like the biggest Delhi fan uh, I even think that, like, when to be honest, when you saw, like, at times, Ndombele's positioning where he's been played as an out-and-out 10, which he's not really, even that role looks like a better role for Delhi. You know what I mean? Like, there have been times where he's playing, he's particularly when Spurs don't have the ball, when he's pressing all the way up alongside Kane. And he's definitely better at that than Ndombele is. And even a kind of, like, you know, finding space in and around the box, he's better at that than Ndombele is. Like, Ndombele can do stuff that Delhi can't do, but I feel like Ndombele is being used in the Delhi role, weirdly enough. I, I mean, look, to put it in very basic terms, Delhi Ali is another guy who can score a goal. Yeah, right. We don't want to go through it again, as I said, we've talked about it quite a few times. In general terms, he doesn't really fit in that system. But as you say, if Ndombele is playing as a number 10, then you may as well play Delhi Ali there and play Ndombele deeper with, um, with Hoiberg. Yeah, I think the way that Spurs have played recently... They have looked really, really good a lot of the times, and they've had some fantastic results in the first third of this season. But I don't think that the balance that we've seen recently with this Hoybjerg, Sissoko, and Dombele midfield is necessarily always going to be the right balance for games like this. Like you can tell that it just doesn't quite work when you're trying to unpick a team, does it? Yeah, I just think uh, you know Sissoko ha- obviously has like strengths that he brings to the team or to the squad, but. He's just not. He's not good on the ball, is he? And in those games where either a you're pegged back right in your own penalty area and you're hacking the ball away, as we've seen a couple of times in the last couple of games, you need someone who can put their foot on the ball and control it. And to be fair to Sissoko, he can like drive the ball at the pitch. And I think he did at least once in that game yesterday. Yeah. But you can't really rely on him to kind of like put his foot on the ball and slow it down and allow everyone to move kind of 10, 15, 20 yards up the pitch and then knock it onto someone and then like, you know, allow the team to reshape and reset themselves. It's just not really the kind of player he is. He's not really about sort of considered control in any sense. And I appreciate, you know, the job he does helping Serge Aurier, which isn't something I don't think you can kind of overstate really because that is a massive thing. But if you're a team... I mean, it, it, forget forget pushing for the title, even pushing for yeah. the top four. I don't think you can like accommodate a midfield player on the basis of like needing to mask the deficiencies of a defensive player. I mean, that does seem ludicrous. This isn't me just kind of reverting back to saying Aurier is rubbish and shouldn't be in the team because he's played very well this season. But that error in judgment yesterday does kind of highlight the problem. Yeah. And in terms of what Sissoko does in the team as well. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Taking this last week as a whole, I think this last week has kind of clarified for a lot of people some things about Tottenham, and we have learned quite a lot, I think. Maybe not in a good way, but we have over the course of these three games. What's your current assessment, James, of where Tottenham stand in terms of you know, the title race, the top four race, what they're doing well, what they need to get better at. Look, we need to acknowledge what I said, which was that Spurs were not in a title race. It was too early to talk about the title race. So I'm glad you're now willing to nod your head as you say that and acknowledge that I was right. I mean, look, they're very much in that hunt. That uh, There is no title race, probably because it's just going to be Liverpool who are going to win the league by miles, right? I mean, that they are head and shoulders above, like, everybody else. Uh, and, you know, I, I think there's been a, maybe a little bit too much bleating about the injuries they've had. You know, especially if you consider even just looking at Spurs in the early part of this year when Son and Kane were out and they're obviously absolutely jiggered and I don't think anyone had much sympathy for Mourinho, even me. But, you know, they've managed to stay in contention through that and now suddenly surge away from everybody else. Not a pun, not a pun. So I, I don't think there really will be a title race. I think it'll be Liverpool's and they'll win it quite comfortably. But below that, kind of six, seven, eight teams maybe that are all relatively evenly matched. And I mean, that's been the case the whole way through. You know, Spurs have never been miles ahead of you know, Aston Villas and West Ham's and Southampton's and whoever else, you know, forget forget Leicester's and Man United's and Chelsea's. You know, that, that, that group is incredibly tight. And my expectation would be that, you know, West Ham, probably Southampton and Aston Villa will kind of fall away and he'll end up with a more traditional lineup of teams, i.e. Spurs, Chelsea, Man United, Leicester and Man City. So, I mean, I think you know, it's probably one of those situations where having said that we shouldn't get carried away about Spurs being top of the league, given how tight it was a couple of weeks ago. Now, it, equally, it's not be stupid to kind of fly off the handle for the opposite reason, really. I just think it's such a tight league at the moment. It, 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 you know, we'll, we'll learn a lot over this next month. Obviously, the games are going to continue coming like two a week for the, for the foreseeable future. Uh, and there are some big games there. You know, there are a lot of matches between teams in that group that I just talked about over the next couple of weeks. And I, Spurs aren't really involved in any of them. I mean, they're playing Wolves, but obviously they're quite a long way back now. So that might be an opportunity to kind of, if they can sort of get their head straight and win a couple of games on the bounce, and suddenly I think it will start to look very different again. And, you know, if they won the next two games, they'd probably end up being second again. I mean, it's just, it's just the way it'll be over the next couple of months. Yeah, I think I, I definitely, I completely agree with you that the main, what has become very clear in the last month or so is that Liverpool are miles better than everyone else. I think I thought that the injuries to Van Dijk and Gomez would do more damage to Liverpool than they have done because they're just like the front half of the I mean Fabinho is obviously an incredible player but the front half of the Liverpool team is just still phenomenally good and uh, that really covers up the issues they got at centre-back and you know Liverpool at Palace of the day was the perfect example of that I actually didn't think Liverpool were that good in the game against Tottenham in the middle of last week and uh, they weren't that good against Fulham either but they have a habit of you know getting results in these difficult circumstances. Well, they've got the mentality, haven't yeah. they? I mean, it's that thing that Klopp has said yeah. loads of times, you know. Mentality they, they win those, exactly, yeah. In terms of where it leaves Spurs, like, I don't, I'm not that down on Spurs. Like, it's obviously been a bad week and 
as I yeah, as I said this on Twitter, like I think that I'd be more critical of the approach against Palace than I would be the approach against Liverpool. I think the approach against Liverpool created enough opportunities for Spurs to win the game. Like the players didn't take the opportunities, but that's not Mourinho's fault. It just happens. And then they got unlucky with the set piece in the last minute. So I really, really would not be down on Tottenham's performance at Liverpool. And I'd, I really don't think... I'd go as far as to say that that was a very good performance, actually, away to a team that good. Yeah. I mean, you think That's... how few good chances... And I, without wanting to go over old ground, having tweeted that. I mean, what, what good chances did Liverpool have? I, I, I mean, e- even the first goal was a massive deflection. The second one's yeah, ahead totally, of, yeah. from a set piece where I think two Spurs players have probably miscommunicated there haven't they it seems like Alderweireld or Kane should have been at least kind of putting pressure on Firmino getting up in his face and neither of them have got anywhere near him well do you see that clip of Henderson knocking Dyer over uh, yeah 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 I have, but I, I mean I know he was his man but he was never going to get there was he yeah I yeah, mean yeah. if you look at the run like the way his body shape was he would have had to have like kind of turned around at a ludicrous angle to then track yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. he just wouldn't have got across him yeah, so so while I, I'm kind of like, I'm not that down on Spurs overall, one thing that I think has been made really, really apparent, I know this was kind of obvious earlier on in the season, what makes Spurs good is actually incredibly narrowly based. Like, it really is just all about Kane and Son. Like, obviously, there's other things they're good at. Like, the defence has been really, really good. Uh, obviously, not so good recently. And Hoybjerg has been really good. And Ndombele's been good. But in an attack, in like, in a goal-scoring sense, it does all come down to those two guys, like Son and Kane. And... That is just very different from, say, Liverpool, who is a team who share the goals around a lot more. And you know, Son yeah. and Kane are playing really well, but all it takes is for them not to play like at sort of ten out of ten standards every single week, and then suddenly everything else, everything else gets a lot harder. Like those headers that Kane missed against yeah. both against Liverpool and against Leicester are very costly. And like you said, and like just like you said earlier, like I'm not absolutely not criticizing Harry Kane at all. Harry Kane is an incredible player who has been phenomenal for Tottenham this year. And Son has been phenomenal for this year. But the reality of what Mourinho has built, I think, is that he is dependent on Kane and Son playing godlike football for the whole thing to work. And if they don't, then it doesn't. And that seems to me to be like quite a probably unsustainable approach to building a good team. I mean, actually, if you think about it, and this has just come to me now, so this is totally off the top of my head. For a team who are reliant on sitting men behind the ball and playing on the counter-attack and kind of trying to minimise all the risks, they don't score enough goals from set pieces, do no. they? And I'm not, I'm not just thinking of those two Kane chances in the last two games. Obviously, you know, everything looks incredibly different if he scores those two chances. But how many... I mean, there was the, the Burnley goal was it, from a corner, wasn't it, I think, with a, with a flick on? The Sun scored. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the but, like um, the Tunisia goal. Yeah, yeah. It's in Maguire against. Uh, yeah, Kane against. The last season was it? Alder, wasn't Alderweireld against Arsenal from a corner off the top uh, of my head? Yes. Yeah. And that was the first one I think since Vertonghen at Molyneux last Christmas. Yeah. I think. I can't. I just can't think there have been. Yeah, you're right. That's a really good point. Like they, you, you would generally expect a team. You know, they got some good headers. The ball, Dyer, Alderweireld, Kane. You'd expect them to be better in those situations but they're not I mean that that does feel like almost an easy win really if you can make yourself if you can work on that and make yourself a, a, a more difficult team to defend against from set pieces then you know if you end up scoring three or four more goals in the second half of the season than you otherwise would have done that feels like that can make quite a big difference in a tight game things to improve in 2021 number one attacking set pieces there we go if you're listening Jose and Zhao <laughs> here's a bit of homework for you it is another big week for Tottenham. The big weeks never stop because on Wednesday night they've got a cold, wet, windy night at Stoke City. 
in the Carabao Cup quarterfinal, away from home against the team who's doing pretty well in the championship. And it's difficult, isn't it, James? Because it's they have to win. They have really, really have to win. And that means they're probably going to have to play their proper players rather than just playing the Europa League team. But it's a hard balance to strike. How would you would would you want to go all in on Kane and Hoiberg and the rest, or would you go for Hart, Dog, and Vinicius and Bale and the other lot? I think the most likely thing is he'll probably make kind of two or three changes and and mix it up a little bit, but not loads. I mean, I'd be amazed if yeah, like you say, Hoiberg and Kane. I'd be amazed if those two didn't play. Son, you would expect probably will end up playing as well, and Lloris as well. Whether or not he decides to give a game to Roden, maybe given he hasn't really had any opportunities in the league and obviously he's not been able to play in Europe either, so he's just not really played that much. It might be quite good to see him play. But yeah, I don't, I don't really see that, that he's going to make loads of changes. I mean, like we saw in the Europa League, once it became evident that that B team were kind of struggling to, to break down with respect to not particularly great teams. Yeah, he reverted to, to kind of putting a few of the A-listers in pretty quickly, didn't he? And I would expect he would probably play quite a few of them in this game. Yeah, I guess I'd say Doherty, Davis, maybe Roden, maybe Winks. Probably leave it at that. It would be, I think it would be mad not to... You can't not play Kane in this game. This game... Is, yeah, like, it is a massive game now. It's a huge game now. It's a huge game. Realistically, it shouldn't really have changed because, you know, their league chances... If, if they were in the title race... 10 days ago then they, they kind of still are really aren't they I don't think you necessarily say that they're out of it now but I mean it just feels like it'll be a very bad time to lose a, game, lose a cup game to a team from the division below and also I think we've got to bear in mind that like the target for this season has always been top four and hopefully a trophy and it's like now is the chance to push towards the second part of that target they've really got to go for it because it's you know the other teams in the competition at the left are not really that good uh, I think Tottenham can totally win this if all they have to do is beat Stoke and get a decent draw for the semis. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there's this Brentford Newcastle game, and you know, Brentford we know are a decent side at Championship level, and that wouldn't be easy. Newcastle, having kind of started a season okay, have been fairly poor in the last few weeks. So, I mean, would you expect that to be Brentford? He probably would. Arsenal v Man City. I mean, God knows what's going to happen there. I mean, that. Feel, I mean, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if Arsenal won that game. To be brutally honest, it just feels like. It's the kind of thing that happens, isn't it? I know City have got an incredible record in this competition, but it does just feel like you know Arsenal in, in big cup games, especially under Arteta, have actually kind of managed to get their house in order and play quite well. I, I don't know. Like the FA Cup semi-final last year. Exactly. The yeah. City. Exactly. I mean, look, a, a lot has happened since then and clearly heads have dropped quite a, quite a lot down there, but um, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me. And then, yeah, Everton, Manchester United. Obviously, Manchester United may be the form team in the Premier League right now, I guess, other than Liverpool. But you would think Everton, similar to Spurs, will probably see it as a big opportunity. So you'd expect them to go full strength where they've got players missing. I wouldn't be surprised if United rotated a bit. So, you know, it, it, you could end up with Brentford, Arsenal and Everton in the semi-finals. And if Spurs are in there as well. I mean, logically, you'd make them favourites, I guess. It's, it's a one-legged semi-final as well, isn't it? It's not the, the old two legs. I think they've changed it, yeah. I think they have changed yeah. it for this year. It's just kind of a shame that it won't be with fans because, you know, it, it would normally be such a good game. But, I mean, we, we shouldn't get overexcited about it at this yet because they haven't had that game. But I do, I completely agree with you that, like, this is an incredibly important game for Tottenham and they have to play their best players. Oh, yeah, one other thing we should say about this. Now, I might be wrong, but I think this is going to be the first time Spurs are going to wear the green away kit this year. I had a question from a listener. 
the other week asking why they haven't worn green when they've worn yellow so much. And I've looked into it and I'm told that the green kit is Spurs' domestic away kit and the yellow kit is the European away kit. Um, and they have worn yellow quite a lot, both in the Europa League and in domestic football, because the green has generally clashed when they would normally wear it. But the green will be in pole position rather than the yellow for the Stoke kit. And given that I think Stoke play in what white shorts rather than red shorts, I think we could ex- we can hopefully see the green kit tomorrow night, which is something to look forward to. Wolves away the day after Boxing Day, so I suppose we've got an extra day to rest. What do you reckon, James? A game that Spurs won last year. Wolves been a little bit up and down so far this season, but they again, it's another game they have to win, really, isn't it? Yeah, it feels like you know, having gone three games without a win in the league, you can't you can't go four games without a win, surely. I mean that it, it would be, I mean maybe not quite crisis time, but it would feel pretty close, even though it's been quite a tough run of victors, and you'd probably not be too far off what you'd expect from that run of games, I guess. Oh, Wolves have been not one this season, haven't they? Because they've had some quite iffy results not been particularly convincing but then they've just beaten Chelsea so you would kind of logically expect perhaps on slight something of an upward curve maybe I mean sticking at their kind of recent home games they've drawn they lost to Villa didn't they drew with Southampton drew with Newcastle beat Fulham and Palace I mean you know it's not like earth shattering stuff and obviously they've kind of performed at a level somewhere below last season I mean, the other thing, I guess, with Wolves is they're not one of those teams. They they don't kind of fly out, do they? They're not one of those teams who uh, will be sending wave after wave of attack. They're quite a bit more pragmatic, aren't they? So I do wonder what, what kind of game you're going to see there. I mean, obviously, they've got brilliant technical players, but they're not they're not like a team, you know, like an Arsenal or a Man City or a Leicester who, or Liverpool even, who kind of fly forward at every opportunity. They're a bit more kind of considered. I, I, you know, to be brutally honest, I reckon that'd probably be quite a rubbish game. Maybe not. Maybe not a, uh, a a Christmas classic. Well, I feel like the average quality of Premier League games at the moment is getting slowly worse. Like just because I know I know the Spurs Liverpool was really good, like in terms of quality in the middle of the week. But generally speaking, the games are getting worse. I think because the players are getting more and more tired, and they have got less to give, and the schedule is obviously ridiculous. So I wouldn't have like high expectations for entertainment or quality over Christmas. But yeah, it's going to be a slog. All these games are going to be a slog. You know, it's an obvious thing, but if you win that game and then you've got Fulham at home, you would, which you would expect to win, even though Fulham again have also improved lately, then you've got, what, is it Leeds after that, maybe? You know, if you can string those three wins together, I, I mean, having said you'd be second after winning two games, I would expect if you won those three games, they'd be second again, probably, because I just think other teams will drop points, because they're, uh, largely because they're playing each other. So, you know, you win the year on a positive note and put yourself in a good position for that top four battle which is obviously going to be the, the narrative of the second half of the season now yeah I completely agree well that's all we've got time for on this week's podcast we won't be back next week because it's Christmas but we will be back for the first week in January thank you very much to James and producer Tom and Charlie for all the podcasts over this year um, if you're listening to this thank you so much for all of your enthusiastic support we're really touched by all the tweets and messages that we get And we love interacting with you guys. So thank you so much for that. And I hope that you all have a safe and healthy and happy Christmas as far as possible. And I look forward to being back with you again at the start of next year. 